0: Today's episode is brought to you in part by ExtraHop. Think analytics, folks. ExtraHop is the enterprise cyber analytics company delivering performance and security from the inside out. More on ExtraHop later in the show, but if you just can't wait, visit extraHop.com/packetpushers to find out more. Heavy networking by the Packet Pushers is sponsored today by IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv/packet to save an additional twenty five percent off your membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Just be sure to use the code PACKET25 at checkout. That's PACKET25. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. If you are deploying an enterprise QoS scheme, wireless QoS matters to you. And today, we're going to go through the basics of wireless QoS, covering some of the standards, terminology, and thinking required to get your head around how we can prioritize packets over a shared medium. Are you ready for this? I, I hope so. Our guest today is Ryan Adzima, and he agreed to make us smarter about this topic. So, so, Ryan, let's start
1: by introducing people to you. Who are you, man? What do you do? I am Ryan Adzema. I am an uh, enterprise wireless engineer, architect, uh, whatever name you want to put on it. I build wireless things. That That's pretty much it right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was working enterprise space, but I'm moving over to the vendor dark side, and hopefully doing some even cooler stuff with Mist and Juniper. Mist
0: and Juniper, okay, yeah. We've had some other uh, Mist people on on the show to talk wireless with us before. So now you are also CWNE number two fifteen. You're on the CWNE advisory board, and for just again, by way of getting to know you, if you've never heard of the CWNE out there in the audience. Because, hey, I thought everything that started with the C was a Cisco cert. Well, the CWNE is something else. Would you give folks an overview of what that certification is?
1: Yeah, the CWNE is the culmination of a series of tests and a uh, uh, a review panel, uh, which is what the CWNE advisory board is. It's a vendor agnostic certification. Uh, So it focuses 100% on 802.11. And um, uh, the, the surrounding required technologies like Radius, uh, QoS, you know things along those lines. Um, certified Wireless Networking Expert. Uh, I don't like to call myself an expert because I definitely have to review books quite often. But uh, it's it's a, it's a great foundation technology certification path, and it's done by CWNP Certified Wireless Networking Professionals
0: hmm Okay. So again, vendor agnostic and uh it so here, here's a question for you. CWNE, I'm assuming that's like um expert cert level certifications tend to be really friggin' hard. Is this a hard cert, would you say?
1: So this one is actually not a test. Um you go through CWNA, which is the associate level, that's your foundational knowledge, lots of trivia. Uh then you go to the professional exams. And they're broken into three categories, security, design, and analysis, which is the real meat of Ada211, understanding the frames and all that stuff. Uh, and then from there you apply and write a series of articles and it's reviewed by a board of other CWNEs to determine whether you have what it takes.
0: So the answer is yes, it's difficult, <laughs> but, but, but it's difficult in a good way. It's not just an endless yes. trivia exam. It's actually you know, build the network, specify a network that's going to meet some specifications then reviewed by peers to evaluate whether or not you actually know what you're doing or
1: not. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, if you, one, of the, one of the big things that I come across a lot is uh, 802.1x, which is a very important part of security for wireless. A lot of people don't understand it. And even to the point where it makes me uh kind of kind of look a little funny at the application when I see that lowercase X.
0: Hmm.
1: And I know I you know, it it's you're you're trying to prove that you're an expert on the technology and being able to prove that is a lot of um being able to explain it not only to other experts, but to people who don't know. Uh so that's that's really what it focuses on.
0: Got it. It sounds like good prep might be then um, for the technologies you think you understand, write about it as if someone else is going to read it and find out if you really do. Because for me, Ryan, that's one of the things. If I start writing about something, all of a sudden the things I thought I knew that maybe I don't know as well as I thought I did reveal themselves.
1: Yep, yeah. When you're putting it on paper, you better be really sure what you're writing.
0: Yeah. Now, Ryan. Again, by way of getting to know you, you co-host a wireless podcast. and notice whiskey and wireless. So I have to ask: is this is this a whiskey podcast uh, or a wireless podcast? I mean, have you, have you been sober recently? <laughs> uh, so
1: it uh, it started out as uh, a friend of mine, Sam Clements. Um, you know, we were both on the road a lot, and we would just Skype and talk and drink and talk technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And uh, one of us had the bright idea to start recording it and putting it on YouTube. Um, and it, it kind of morphed into this whole thing where it, it's more uh, of a conference show that we do uh, at, at one of the annual wireless conferences, WLPC. We talk pretty much any technology you can think of. We're not strictly wireless, but it, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. We try to, try to focus less on vendor technology and more mm-hmm. on uh, what's going on in the industry, things like that. It is a very good outlet um, because there's a certain mindset you need to have to get really deep into wireless, and alcohol helps. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so again, that's the whiskey and wireless podcast. People
0: can just what grab their podcatcher and search for that; it'll it'll pop up.
1: Yeah, yeah, we have it. Uh, we're in iTunes, Google Play, all of that, uh, and YouTube. Perfect.
0: Well, all right, Ryan, let's get into this, man. Wireless QoS. So so let's start with with an overview. Um, and, And I guess we should set some context here before we get too deep in. There's a distinction here. People hear wireless, sometimes they're thinking about cellular networks because that's a kind of wireless network. But I think in this conversation, we're really talking about enterprise networks, access points and these kind of things. Is that a, a worthwhile mm-hmm. distinction to
1: make? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and as enterprises are growing and technology is growing, we have a lot of enterprise wireless technologies. So this is even 802.11 specific. This is your okay. Wi-Fi. Okay. Um, you know, not Zigbee, not Bluetooth uh, or any of those other technologies that are really starting to creep in now.
0: Now, wireless QoS isn't something I'm going to deploy in my enterprise for fun. I'm going to have to have some reason that I want to use it. So in your experience, what are the major
1: use cases for uh, for wireless QoS? Well, so that's one of the things. Wireless QoS is required uh, for, for your modern technologies, for AC, AX. You really want the speeds and the data rates that it's going to offer. You have to have it enabled. Most people don't touch it. Just having it enabled by default is fine. Uh, It's when you get into things like life-saving devices, uh, your vocera badges in hospitals for nurses, uh, emergency call buttons, um, and specifically enterprise voice over wireless. That's when you better know what you're doing with QoS uh, because you're going to need to Set it up not just in the air, but translate it down to the wire for proper performance.
0: Well, you just said something really interesting there. So, so in my brain, this was a feature I would be enabling and doing something with. What you're saying is based on, uh, like the AC standard. I, I, it's going to be on by default. I'm going to have it. It's at least
1: going to be there and doing something, whether I've configured it or not. Yep. It's there. Uh, it's not necessarily doing anything uh, unless your applications are tagging uh-huh. and most, most application, you know, consumer applications aren't, but your, your home network is running it. Uh, uh-huh. You know, it's all the part of the WMM Wi-Fi certification. And it, it just, which uh, I think we're going to talk about in a little bit. We definitely are. Yeah. It's there. It's always there on okay. these newer standards. It's when you start configuring and tweaking it that um, then it starts to get
0: fun. Well, it's almost like IPv6 in a way. It's there <laughs> if you want it or not. You just got to get into yeah. it and uh and and make use of it. All right. So another yeah. uh, practical question for you then Ryan. Now, for people that are used to wired QoS, um hey, we're dealing with switch networks, we're dealing with routed networks and that is a different medium than than wireless, which is a radio. Radio is a shared medium, it's half duplex. And so from that perspective, how well can wireless QoS Really work
1: in this shared medium. So with with wireless Q with wired, you're talking about buffers and you're talking about yep. switches and isolated broadcast domains. All of these different things that we just can't do uh, on wireless. So a lot of times the QoS there is I, I have all these packets. What order do I want them to leave? With wireless yep. QoS, we're talking about probability. Uh. We're giving opportunities we're giving better opportunity to prioritize traffic now it doesn't guarantee that it's going to get it that it's going to take advantage of it but by by increasing the opportunity for certain types of traffic to transmit faster uh, more often we are in essence prioritizing over the air um, it tr- historically wireless has been a 100 a percent shared medium no prioritization mm-hmm. it was Whoever has the availability to talk gets to talk. So Wireless QoS brought this all together and made it so that when we have an application that really needs to move uh, a lot of data quickly, we're allowing it to kind of tweak the system and do that. Got it. Okay. And yeah,
0: we're going to dive into this in, in, in a lot more detail as we go ahead, but that, that's a really important distinction to make because it is a very different mindset and what we're trying to accomplish is different. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so then, how is that QoS capability? Um, how, how does it be exist? Is it in hardware? Like I've got to have a radio that can deal with this, or is it is it a software thing?
1: Uh, mostly, it's software uh, because it's it's just another um, flag in the um, in the frame headers. So the hardware part of it is as long as it's supporting the standards. Uh Um, This is going to be part of it. Like I said, with AC, AX, it's it's built in there. So as long as you have a chipset that's supporting that, um, anything that's Wi-Fi certified these days is going to have the capabilities. And that doesn't mean your applications support it, but at least the radio will. Got it. Okay. All right. So
0: let, then let's talk standards. Um, you mentioned WMM a little bit earlier. As I was doing research for the show, I ran into 802.11e-2005, uh, the Wireless Multimedia Extensions. The WMM, Wireless Multimedia Standards, if I got this right, seems to be a subset of 802.11e. Uh, you can correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong here. I, I, th- I also spotted the WMM Save certification, which... Seem like an off to the side thing. I don't need to. Be, we don't know that we need to get into that too much. But can you kind of give us the overview of these standards? And you know, d- again, just the ten thousand foot view. What these are doing for us?
1: Yeah, yeah. So 211 E is our um, IEEE QoS uh, standard. Uh, it's the one that was ratified. WMM is the Wi-Fi Alliance, which is not affiliated with the IEEE, but they are the organization that tests interoperability between wireless devices. So when you see Wi-Fi, that's actually a trademark owned by Mm -hmm. the Wi-Fi Alliance. Uh, WMM is their requirement to include 802.11e. Uh, It is a subset. Uh, Off the top of my head, I don't recall what parts they leave out. They do, sometimes they leave little things out of requirements. Um, I believe WMM follows 802.11e Almost exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be uh, some some small feature, but as far if you're looking for any information on this, eight hundred two eleven E and WMM are almost interchangeable. Got it. Okay. So, what's the WMM power save element of this? So that is a feature that was introduced to allow battery operated devices to go into power save mode more efficiently, and allows the access point to actually buffer data before sending it out. So there's a, there's a, I'm going to sleep and then I'm awake. Do you have any data for me? It's kind of a back and forth. Okay. So is it tied to QoS
0: directly as such or is it, it sounds like it's kind of an off to the side thing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a little bit off to the side. There, there are some uh, extra frame types and, and management types that go in there that are part of ADA 211E. But when we're talking about wireless performance and Um, what people traditionally think of QoS, um, power save kind of sits off to the side.
0: Got it. So one last standards related question, the 802.11e that comes out of the IEEE, um, as we've stated Mm -hmm. now, what about the IETF? I found one RFC 8325 that has to do with mapping diff serve into WMM values, a little bit obscure. Is there anything else, any other role the IETF might play other RFCs that you're aware of that factor into wireless QoS?
1: Not that I'm aware of. Um, now, wireless QoS is one of those topics that never gets any love. Uh, so I, <laughs> I uh, unfortunately don't, don't really keep up on, on anything the IETF is doing with it. But you mentioned that RFC, and it's, uh, I looked into it. it is, uh, it's a pretty great RFC that I would love to see some vendors implement. Uh, we just haven't seen that yet. Right now, we do all the work that it's doing manually. So, that is so again mapping, the,
0: yeah, mapping those WMM uh, marking values that we're going to talk about in a bit here into DiffServ values. You're saying, mm-hmm. ah, yeah. so okay, so so we've got a standard that's out there RFC 8325 for us, but but vendors haven't been haven't picked up on it.
1: Yeah, no, as far as I know, um, I I haven't um, seen anyone that does it. I I did look for, you know, it, it was written by a few guys at Cisco and I think a guy at Microsoft, and it. It's a it's a great little RFC, but Hmm. uh, there's no references to it in any vendor release notes that I've been able to find. We'll be back to this podcast shortly, but we're going to talk about ExtraHop, a packet pusher sponsor. First, your job probably
0: includes managing applications, network infrastructure, and so on. But how do you do that when you can't even see everything those apps are running on? When half the network the app is running across isn't even yours? Add to that SDN changing things in automated ways that maybe feel out of your control. Or devs and other business units firing up their own cloud instances and then expecting you to support it even though you've got zero instrumentation. These scenarios are some of the ways that ExtraHop can help. ExtraHop is a leader in network analytics and they help you consolidate tools into their analytics platform and make sense of application performance running over infrastructure that's sprawled beyond your data center and across the internet and then into the cloud. ExtraHop offers complete visibility and leverages machine learning to help you make sense of the mountain of metadata about your network, and in the end, you can make informed decisions about your IT stack and do it quickly. If you go to extrahop.com packetpushers, you can find out more about the ExtraHop performance platform. Once more, that is extrahop.com packetpushers, and now, back to the show. Okay, I think we've got a good overview of wireless QoS and what it's doing. But now now we want to get into some nerdy details. And I'll tell you, man, I put hours into reading about this because this is a first for me. I didn't know anything about wireless QoS, and I wanted to be able to ask, hopefully, semi-intelligent questions. So I was trying to figure out, because I know wired QoS okay, um, and I was trying to to build a bridge between wired and wireless QoS. So so here's an analogy, and I want you to tell me if I'm kind of right or wrong here. So with wired QoS, the QoS policy becomes active when there is congestion. We talked about that a little bit earlier, buffers and so on. You got a packet being buffered. The QoS policy helps the device decide who in the buffer is going next. Um, And there's there's more we could talk about, but that's it in a nutshell. So are wireless collisions kind of the same scenario as wired congestion? So are, are
1: collisions kind of the problem we want to solve with wireless QoS? So it's, it's actually, um, collisions are, I want to say rare, but unfortunately not rare in a, in a well-designed well-operating network, uh, because wireless is a collision detection avoidance medium. So it, it'll detect it's listen before talk. Wireless always listens, make sure the air is clear and then talks. So we're, we're not avoiding, we're not using QoS to avoid collisions. What we're doing is the, the wait time between trans you know, is the air clear? No. Uh, well, how long do I have to wait before checking again? That right there is where QoS comes into play. How long do I have to wait? Okay. okay. So on high priority traffic, we're waiting a very short time, um, three to seven microseconds. Whereas on really low-priority traffic, we could be waiting up to a uh, full millisecond uh, before trying again.
0: That actually leads into another you know, important uh, point to bring up for people because back in the day, Wi-Fi didn't have the ability to do what you just described, have these different amount of back-off times. There was kind of an equal opportunity sharing algorithms, as I mm-hmm. understood it, defined by distributed coordinated function, DCF. There's a... Wireless has so many acronyms, man. It's just a ton of them. So there's distributed coordinated function, which, I, as again, as I understood, it was more like everybody gets the same shot at yeah. the wire versus hybrid coordination function, HCF, which was an evolution that lets us now make distinctions between different kinds of packets. And some uh, that are sitting there waiting for clear to send uh, will wait a shorter amount of time, have a basically a higher priority, than than others. Uh, Less important packets might have to wait longer and have less of a shot at at getting at the wire. Do I have that about right, DCF versus HCF?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's all based on random values, uh, but the windows, it's the the CW min and max, uh, contention window, minimum and maximum. In DCF, we had static values for the min and max. And every client would pick a random number within that. And that number determined how many, how many frame spaces it would wait. Whereas with HCF, um, QoS, it's, it's a, a microsecond wait time. And every queue or category has its own min and max. So right. in your highest priority, you're at 3 to 7 microseconds. The next one, you're at 8 to 15 microseconds. So it works its way down all the way up to a maximum value of a millisecond. But what it what it does is two clients accessing the same category, all of that, or in DCF, they're picking a random value. Um, and there's a whole equation that goes into it that's that's far beyond memorization for me. But, but that, um,
0: again, that DCF, that random value that is chosen makes no distinction between the packet types. You, you said per client. So whatever the client has to send, it's treating all its packets that are waiting to send in the same way, whereas an HCF client has got queues now and can make packet, not forwarding decisions exactly, but you know who goes next is uh, determined by these different backoff values. The smaller backoff values mean it's more likely that you're going to be, be the one sending next.
1: A, a, a high priority could have, um, you know, four or five opportunities to send TX ops before a low priority packet even clears its timer.
0: Hmm. Okay, so again, this goes back to what you were saying before. It's not about buffered packets and who goes first, like a QoS policy in a wired network. Exactly, it's about increasing the odds that the packets you need to get sent out in a timely fashion are going to be able to get sent out in a timely fashion.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's, it is yeah, similar, it's but all, it's different. It's the whole shared, shared medium nature uh, yeah. of wireless where we don't control the wire anymore. So we have to figure out and make sure everything's clear before we send. So,
0: Okay, so let's draw another parallel between wired and wireless in the context of queues. In a wired network, I might build four, maybe maybe eight, occasionally more than eight different traffic classes that I'll build a policy and run a policy against. What what is analogous to that in the wireless side? I, I
1: think the answer is access categories. Yes, yeah, so we have the four different access categories: uh, voice, video, best effort, and background. Those are the main categories, and it's a it's a, a four bit value. Uh-huh. But uh, so that should be eight categories, but they they group together, so they it, it breaks down into four. Um, seven and six are voice five and four or video. And, and it just breaks down like that.
0: You, you remembered um, more than me. I saw a few charts of that along the way. It's like, I am not committing yeah. that to memories. So that's not going to happen. But right. We end up with these eight different, I believe they were called user priorities and two, mm-hmm. two user priorities of varying values mapped into uh, one of the four different access categories or, or cues that we have to work with. Each access category having a different backoff time, and you and you said them uh, once already, but just for review, we got voice, video, best effort, and background. Voice having a backoff of three to seven uh, microseconds. Uh, you know, video goes up uh, eight to fifteen. Best effort and background have the same as with with much larger potential backoff times, fifteen to ten twenty three. Let's say again some random value chosen in there. Um, and, again, practically speaking, that means if we got a voice packet waiting to go and a, and a best effort packet waiting to go, the backoff time for voice is much shorter. So its countdown mm-hmm. timer and its attempt to send is going to happen much more quickly than a best effort or a background packet. Yeah. yeah. And, and so in this yeah. way, we get QoS. Yeah. I, I'm putting that in air quotes. Yeah.
1: QoS. Yeah. yeah. And one of the one of the interesting things with that is because two of the up um, values translate to a single category, it allows us to even within voice. Now it won't work on wireless because both of those up values will translate to the same category, same timers. But we can differentiate that once we get it to the controller or onto the wire, and we can tag them differently in DSCP or COS.
0: Oh, so up values as in user priority, the, the eight different values yeah. we've got to work with. So that so that's important. There's a value there that's preserved um, all the way through that we can, mm-hmm. again, when that packet finally or that frame finally hits the wire, we can translate that into, um, I guess, what, a diff serve value on the wired network yeah. going forward? Okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right. So we've got the ability now with... Um, Uh, HCF, Enhanced Distribution Channel Access, to make some differentiation between packet types. We've got four different packet types, if you will, in the form of access categories. That could be marked with one of eight different values, user priorities, that are mapped into the access categories. Um, And this gives us a kind of uh, a a way to favor that certain packets are going to get in onto the radio, onto the air, before other ones. Now, something else that popped up here for me, Ryan, that I, I need some help with, which is... Arbitration interframe space AIFS because uh, I got as I got through this access category part, and then I'm looking at uh, AIFS arbitration interframe space. This gap between packets, and got a little puzzled as to what that was adding to the mix
1: for me. Can you uh, maybe explain that? So the interframe spacing. Oh man, this is uh, this is going deep. The interframe <laughs> spacing is is used as a way to when I listen uh, to make sure the channel is clear and then I switch over to transmit, it's not necessarily clear anymore. So there are different values that are all used in uh, what's called NAV, um, network allocation vectoring, that allows us to ensure that that, uh, between listening, between transmitting, uh, between certain amounts of data, these spaces are used. And the spaces vary depending on the technology and the features that are enabled to To ensure that we don't end up with those collisions, this is part of that whole collision avoidance system. Yeah, okay. um, Wi-Fi is very averse to two transmitters at once, so it's all built in there. Um, so, so it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's part of the scheme to
0: help us avoid collisions. Collisions are bad because when we have two transmitters that send in the air at the same time, the signal is cluttered up. Those end up being bad frames that aren't going to make it to the AP. We're going to have to have a reach. We're going to retransmit. Um, yep. and so that's, that's no good. So again, arbitration interframe space then is helping us co- avoid collisions. We end up with a more efficient transmission medium. We're, we're getting more packets through the air when we avoid collisions. If we have a collision, two or more senders at the same transmitters at the same time talking on the air, uh, we got to retransmit all of those. That was just a waste of a, of a cycle, an opportunity to send for everybody that was yep. involved.
1: And it's not just the, the, the resend that needs to happen. A, a client doesn't know that someone else was transmitting at the same time. So it needs to get a uh, a request for resend. You know, it, it, so 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 at a wireless
0: level, like basically layer two, there's something happen there's there's some signaling that happens to say, hey, we just had a collision. Do you need to send that frame again?
1: Yeah. So I mean, wireless is very, very TCP like. Okay. We need an acknowledgement for everything. Mm. Um, If we don't get an acknowledgement then it goes back in the queue and so now you're you're starting to congest your airspace with retransmits with you know requests for retransmissions all all kinds of other management packets that just shouldn't be there Uh, so Uh, it gets uh, uh. it gets pretty messy
0: unlike ethernet which doesn't care it assumes that the underlying whatever it's encapsulating at a packet level the you know tcp if or or even at an application level is going to worry about whether or not something got delivered. Ethernet's just like, if it gets dropped, if it gets, you know, messed up, it'll record a statistic for you. Yep. I had a, I had a drop. I had a discard. I had a bad frame, whatever, but there's no signaling anywhere that there was a problem with that. I, I did not know this about Wi-Fi that it was so fussy to make sure that at layer two, that frame is being delivered.
1: Hmm. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, uh, exchanges going back and forth. Um, Management overhead is one of the killers.
0: Mm. Well, okay. So this takes me to, to our next question here. We just talked about arbitration, interframe spacing, helping us with collision avoidance. There's another term here, the contention window. And how does the, what is the contention window? How does it tie into interframe spacing and, and the backoff timer that we've been talking about as well?
1: So the contention window is your, your time to go. It's negotiating. How much time do I need? Um, how am I going to send? Every frame has a length and an amount of time that it's going to take to transmit. You're con- you're you're contending for your window to send that information. Um, the CW min and max value that I mentioned earlier for every category uh, is is your backoff timer um, for waiting to transmit your data. It's it's basically just your timer. Um, you're waiting for your turn. There's oh, there's so much. Uh, the, the, the deeper the deeper you get into this, it just becomes a rabbit hole uh, with all the timers and, like you said, the acronyms. But the contention window is you're fighting for airtime, is what it breaks down to.
0: But it does sound like it relates once again to collision avoidance, though, in, in the wireless space. Is that fair? Yeah. All right. Unless I know the air is mine, I'm going to wait and listen and and tying this all back into just our you know, you know fundamentals of wireless QoS here you know the big idea is that more important packets like voice or video um have timers and contention windows and so on that are that are shorter than uh, other less important packets they're going to be sent they're going to be transmitted over the air first uh, and again mm-hmm. just reminding people that with radio with wireless Only one speaker at a time on the air, else you've got a collision and have to send it again. Um, So doing this in an efficient way and and being able to do this in a prioritized way is is kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so Ryan, one of the things we've talked about here, we've talked about voice, video, best effort, and background access categories that have user priority marks that map into those four cues can we talk about these um marks and marking in wireless QoS? Um and we need to draw some parallels between wireless QoS marking and wired QoS marking. On the wired side, I think people that have dug into QoS on the wired side are going to be familiar with class of service, that 802.1p variable that you get as long as it's a tagged packet. It's a it's a a field that is in the 802.1q um field. Um and then from there, the, the the value we really want isn't class of service, although sometimes that's what we get handed. We want a DSCP value. We want something in the IP header, that DSCP field, to be populated and preserved throughout our, our journey. Okay. So with that background, we've got user priority v- uh, values, eight of them, that map to these four uh, access category queues, how does that user priority mark get... How does that happen? How does that mark get put into a wireless frame? And then once the wireless frame is transmitted, what happens to that value after that?
1: So what happens is the wireless translation will go directly from um, ETA to 11E. Mm-hmm. That value, the uh, the up, the, the user priority to DSCP. The problem is... Uh, DSCP is eight bits, correct?
0: Six, um, part of an eight-bit field, the toss six pipe. Back. but yeah, it's it's six, right? You got
1: zero through sixty-three, you can use as a value there, yeah. So we we have we have zero through seven on wireless. So okay. we have uh, uh, so what happens is the uh, the bits get padded, and voice doesn't map to voice on wireless side doesn't map to voice on DS, uh, DSCP side.
0: On the All right. Okay. So on the wired side, usually you'd have um, a DSCP value of 46, EF, um, expedited forwarding. Mm-hmm. So we're saying that that doesn't necessarily
1: translate right over? No. In fact, I believe it maps to, I can't recall off the top of my head, I believe it maps to 42 or 44 um, as a DSCP value.
0: And, and, and not the forty-three we'd uh, we'd be looking for or, or anticipating based on the IDF yeah. standard.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so what happens is uh, you have voice traffic coming from the client over the air, getting mapped incorrectly uh, onto the wire, and uh, when the voice traffic comes back, forty-six maps higher than our our categories. So you end up with you end up with this shift that happens in your table. It's a bit confusing, and it there's Oops. a lot of rewriting that we need to do in order to map those values properly,
0: yeah, I was saying forty three I meant forty six. Sorry about that. Thank you. um okay. so 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 some questions here. I've got a wireless client who marks that packet with an up value, user priority value. It gets sent to the AP. Is it the AP that is going to do a mapping for me from an up value to a DSCP value? Or is it going to happen like at a controller if I'm doing a CAPWAP tunnel? Or
1: So that depends on your system. Um, you know, the, the controller-based systems will likely do it at the controller unless you're doing remapping, uh, uh-huh. which then will – because the tunnel, the CAPWAP tunnel or the GRE tunnel that it uses – Uh, actually exposes those QoS values out to the wire uh, while it's in transit from access point to controller.
0: Because there should be a reflection of that value up into the tunnel header?
1: Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, So if you're remapping, uh, that generally takes place at the access point. If you're not, then it'll just get dropped off at the controller. Uh, With your cloud-based systems or your independent access points, it's gonna happen at the access point if it's got the capability.
0: So but okay that remapping um could be done at a switch so so like, like Cisco Ooh. switches have this mapping capability um would a Cisco switch have a clue what to do with a with, with a, a well no it wouldn't because we've d de- <laughs> Sorry I'm talking myself through this <laughs> so <laughs> so I mean no it's a wireless frame once it's taken out of off the air and put onto the ethernet network and now it's an ethernet frame with with, with different mm-hmm. values so the mapping would have to happen with a wireless savvy device that understands, I'm looking at a wireless frame with a UP value embedded and then map it at that point to yep. what, what does it map it to? It's going to be, a, again, a DSCP value, a diff serve value. Yeah. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, all of your major vendors uh, provide the capabilities to do this where you can do default mappings. You know, this is voice and it'll do it very similar to that RFC where it, it just does it for us automatically. And that's, this is exactly what that RFC was written for, um, and I'm I'm going to be doing a lot more research on that to find out why it hasn't been implemented by anyone yet. Eighty-three twenty-five. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. This is this is exactly what that's for. So what we end up doing is uh, in the controllers we can, or in the wireless systems, we can remap to what it should be. You know, voice to voice um, to to forty six. Or we can remap it to something crazy that we want. Uh, you can do it to any value. Um, so there's there's a lot of that that goes into play that, again, like I said in the beginning, unless you are deploying enterprise voice wireless uh, or you're deploying um, emergency badges, a lot of this never just never comes into play because you don't really care what the taggings are as they come and go. Um, it's hmm. not until you start. Digging in, that that this becomes important.
0: Well, because voice uh, enforcement of voice policy end to end matters so heavily on tagging that getting those tags right, getting those marks right is a is a pretty big deal. Uh, so if since RFC eighty three twenty five, which defines how you should be mapping your user priority values to DSCP values, if that's not implemented by your vendor. It's up to you as a network administrator to build that mapping policy?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that policy, and like I said, a lot of the vendors make it pretty easy to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually it's just a, a, a few little drop dropdowns. Um, I know Cisco uses ABC, their, their application uh, visibility system. Uh, that's how it's, it's done because they're reading the values as it hits the access point or the controller and mapping accordingly.
0: We're going to pause our podcast discussion for a word from our sponsor today, IT Pro TV. IT Pro TV, they are flexible online technical training. Why training? Training helps you take advantage of the career paths that are available in IT, and IT has an incredibly strong career path right now. A recent MIT study shows that IT occupations have grown by nearly 20% between 2004 and 2017. That is more than eight times the growth rate of other career paths. Earnings are growing for folks in IT as well, even though earnings are flat for college grads on the average. IT Pro TV can help you take advantage of these IT career trends with courses covering CompTIA and Cisco and EC Council VMware and lots more. There are over 4000 hours of binge-worthy on-demand training content out there for you. The hosts that are presenting the information they're doing it in an engaging a talk show kind of a format to keep you paying attention and they're live every day if you like live content, but then that live content goes studio to web in 24 hours so you can stream it whenever you're ready. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job roles so you can find what you're looking for without a lot of headache. You can stream the courses, of course, live or again on demand via any method you're looking for. Chromecast, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, PC, their iOS or Android apps. You got all those sorts of choices. And the big idea here make it easy to learn your stuff then go pass your exams earn your certs and then land your next great job with the help of training from IT Pro TV so how do you do it visit itpro.tv/packet to take advantage of their lowest prices ever that's itpro.tv/packet itpro.tv/packet And when you use the code PACKET25 at checkout, you will save an additional 25% off your membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Just be sure to use that code, PACKET25 at checkout. That is PACKET25. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And now back to the show. And then once we've got those marks right and translated into a DSCP uh, diff serve value, the assumption is okay. Now we've got an. Now we've we've tagged it at an IP level. We've got a good uh, DSCP value that should be preserved throughout your wired system. When mm-hmm. yeah, I've got return traffic, it's a voice conversation. Typically, it's going to be two way. So now I've got uh, traffic coming back from whoever it is I'm speaking to back in across my wired network. It's going to hit the AP. Is it at that point that it gets translated back into a user priority value? What
1: what actually happens there? Yep, that'll get translated back into the correct um, user priority value. Uh, like I said, because we're only using four bits of three or four now. I think it would be maybe even three, yeah. the It gets padded with zeros. So mm-hmm. we're only getting the most significant bits out of DSCP. When you cut that off, you're dropping a couple of the bits, and it needs to get remapped properly.
0: Right, okay. So so it's got to look at, it like, okay, this is EF, this is you know 46, and i got to map that into user priority Whatever it's whatever the value is, so that yep. it is uh, handled correctly when that frame is now sitting at the access point waiting to be transmitted to the client. So it's going to get the right uh, priority assigned to it and get on the air as, yep. as quickly as it should. Because, uh, well, that, that actually, you know what? That leads us to another great question: What happens when you got non-WMM clients, or, or there's no mark on the wireless frame at all? but you're in a wireless QoS environment. How do those unmarked frames get dealt with?
1: So those will be handled um, as as just normal data. The defaults are, they can be network specific. Uh, a lot of the vendors allow us to manipulate the the values, the, the contention window timers, um, which are determined by the access point when the client joins. So when the client joins, it gets a, a probe request or when it, when it wants to join, it does a probe, it gets a probe request, and it lists all the capabilities of the wireless network. That wireless network is setting what what should be used when,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what values it are. So we said, we said with voice category, it's three to seven microseconds. Right. Well, you can remap that. You can make that one eight to 20 if you want. Oh, oh
0: okay. So it's not a, a hard... It, there's a, some default values, but it's not locked in by a standard where it must be... You know those
1: values. Correct. Okay. Those are those defaults are defined, but they're defined as defaults. Um, you can change them. Mm-hmm. So, if you have the need to regulate non-tag traffic or background traffic, um, or even limit the capabilities of a certain SSID, say you have guest and um, corporate, and you want to make sure guest never uses voice or video. You can remove those capabilities from that SSID, so the wireless administrator has a lot of capabilities for tuning how the whole contention process works. Hmm. So if you get into that, then you're then you're getting deeper into manipulating the priority values, um, your contention windows, and what what queues are available to clients.
0: Is there such a thing? Um As throttling non-marked traffic or maybe throttling, you know, background or best effort traffic so that, you know, if an elephant flow is coming through, that's just, you know, hogging as much of the airtime as it can get, it doesn't step on everybody else so badly?
1: So we do that on the translation to the wire. Throttling, we can't do in the air because, again, it's shared. Everyone's asking, is it clear? Uh, If it's clear, they're going to send. You can't control that. But you can control what they're hitting um, either by throttling at the controller using something like Cisco's ABC to slow down and, and rate limit. You Basically can, a, traf-
0: a traffic shaper of some sort?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. and And when you start doing that, you start affecting the wireless network. The more you throttle traffic from the wireless network, even if it's not done at the controller or the access point, you're now affecting it because those clients are going to be Transmitting more often, they're going to be transmitting bigger packets. They're they're going to be trying to go as fast as they can, and you're slowing them down. Um,
0: yeah, so for some flows like TCP, in theory, the window would adjust to what that shaper rate limiter is is giving it to work with. You know, other flows, not so much. They could just be you know discards. You end up with more retransmissions in uh, in some cases. Okay. You you so you can, but it's not without its trade-offs.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's it's a little dance you have to do. We you know mm. where do you want where do you want the issues to be? Mm. Um, ideally, try to limit them in the air as much as possible. Deal with it on the wire.
0: Oh boy. Okay. So this is another. This this has been a heavy topic. There's been a lot going on here. Uh, well, so let me ask you a couple of other kind of oddball questions that didn't fit into any of the rest of this, but popped up. What about wireless bridges? So th- that is, it's not a regular access point with clients. It's just a bridge that's connecting to buildings or whatever. Is there anything mm-hmm. different I need to consider about
1: wireless QS for a wireless bridge scenario? Uh, not really. Um, it, it's it's going to operate pretty much the same, but you're talking about it mostly being control traffic. So you, you just want to be mindful of, with, with that, that goes more into design, uh, just making sure the channel is clear for the bridges to do what they need to do. They're going to pass... They're going to encapsulate whatever traffic you give them, whether it's tagged VLANs or just straight uh, mm-hmm. wired traffic. They're going to they're going to pass it as needed. Um, if you have a lot of bridges operating on the same channels, then you're getting into a lot more contention because the bridges um, will be contending with
0: each other for airtime to send if they're yep. within if they can basically if they can see each other over the air. Yep. you're saying yep. yeah. Uh, so from a, a wireless QoS perspective, if we narrow that, let's say we've got a nice, clean wireless bridge uh, channel, do we get into prioritization of packets because they've been marked with some WMM or, or user priority value?
1: They're going to go out uh, as they come in. Um, if, you, if you're talking about wired clients on either side, no channel contention, uh, perfectly clean environment, the packets are going to come in, get encapsulated, sent over the bridge. You're not going to end up with a whole lot of contention there where mm. QoS would be be an issue. Now, you may still want to maintain that. You still may want to map that information um, in case, because a lot of things we deal with in wireless are transient interference yep. issues. Uh, someone walks by with a MiFi. Uh, as long as that's operating at a standard, it's going to acknowledge and and recognize the the qos markings and how everything goes so it's probably best practice but in an ideal situation not really required it's just the kind of thing uh, again as you say it's going to be first in first out
0: you don't really have a lot of contention in a bridge scenario it's a little different than a because you've got one sender and receiver you know communicating to each other uh, on that channel, as opposed to a bunch of clients contending for, uh, the airtime there. So it's, it really is right. a different sort of a world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but at, at a fundamental level, it still operates exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the bridge isn't all that different from, from a client talking to an access point. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: All right. I think, I think one more question for you, Ryan, which, which is this, Wi-Fi 6 brings us OFDMA. Now, we've talked about this on Packet Pushers on some other shows. I don't want to dig into the details of OFDMA too deeply, but maybe maybe at a high level you want to mention to people what it is. Um, And considering that you can have multiple speakers on the air now because of the way OFDMA channelizes, does that change anything for wireless QoS
1: WMM? I'm hoping it does. Uh, So OFDMA, Orthogonal Frequency Division Multiple Access, as opposed to OFDM. Orthogonal Frequency Division Multiplexing is what we use in AC. AX is getting the multiple access uh, where we divide up everything into resource units and we can take very small chunks Mm. of the frequency and a client can talk at the same time. Um, This is going to have a pretty big impact on a lot of things. Um, QoS, I believe... My, I, I really haven't seen it operating at scale anywhere. I have an access point, but one access point with two clients, it's really hard to, to yeah. put it through its paces. I, I do think that it's going to help a lot. It's not going to eliminate the need for QoS because we're still going to have clients fighting, especially in high density and corporate environments. The opportunities to transmit smaller amounts of data, like a 64 kilobit um, voice stream, right, uh, yep. are going to be a lot easier to do when you're able to divide up those resources. So maybe it'll make QoS easier to deal with, make, make these latency and, and um, jitter sensitive applications a lot easier to work with. Mm. Um, I don't see it eliminating the need. Personally, my biggest thing is that's gonna change the way we design networks. The, the narrower the spectrum you're looking at, so if I get a resource unit that's only a megahertz or two wide, the noise floor goes way down, so mm-hmm. I can reach way further. But that's that's a whole different topic.
0: It, it is, <laughs> and it'll take us a while to get there because we're going to need a lot of a- yeah. AX clients. Well, sorry, Wi-Fi six clients to come online uh, to to get us to this this nirvana. But
1: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it feels, it's, it's it's it is going to be a while. Uh, but but I don't see it making too many um, fundamental changes to the way we deploy QoS. I see a lot more on the the results um, being more tangible
0: hmm mm. you know, being so right it's not gonna it's not gonna obviate the need we'll still need it but where where it comes into play may be less frequent uh, ofdma giving us the chance again to have those very small um, you know, dividing the radio up into sub channels those resource units that you were talking about yeah, yeah. okay yeah. all right. Well, Ryan, I just got through all the questions I wanted to ask uh, about this topic. This is a great... I mean, so I did a bunch of reading to prepare just to be able to ask semi-intelligent questions. And uh, and, and, and folks that are listening, I'm going to have a bunch of links in the show notes of articles that I read trying to get educated on wireless QoS and WMM and 802.11e and so on, what all of these uh, topics are that Ryan and I hit on. Um there's a lot here, and we could we could have gone deeper and spent more time. But uh, hey, I'm sparing you, sparing you out there in the audience, so we didn't get too 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 nerdy uh, today. But uh, again, the show notes at PacketPushers.net, or if you look in your Podcatcher, you'll see some links, uh, and you can read even more about these topics as deep as you want to go. Now, Ryan, before we go, hey man, it's time to not be shy and promote yourself. Do you have a, a Twitter handle, blog, anything like that you would care to share with people?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on. Uh, Twitter as at radsma. Feel free to uh, reach out and beat me up. I'm sure I misspoke somewhere. This is one of those topics that I would love to talk more about. Not too much. Not too much goes on with this. Uh, it's one of the one of the more hidden topics. So feel free to reach out to me there. Uh, like I said earlier, we have the whiskey and wireless uh, podcast. That's whiskeyandwireless.net, and I. Haven't blogged in quite a while, but you can go back and read through my archives at techvangelist.net.
0: Techvangelist.net. Do you wear do you yep. wear a robe? Is there like a miter involves <laughs> a glass of whiskey in one yeah. hand, a miter on top? And yeah. Oh uh, that
1: that would be perfect.
0: <laughs> Ryan, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and uh willingness to uh, Anytime we get into a topic this deep, as you were alluding to earlier, there's always the risk of exposure that someone's gonna be like, you know what, you talked about the wrong number of bets or something and we're gonna get beat up on something. That's fine. We'll take the risk. We can take it. Yeah, again, yeah. you can. Uh, I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks on Twitter. You can beat me up too uh, anytime you like. And uh, if you like this show, you want to hear more nerdy stuff about networking and cloud PacketPushers.net. We got several different kinds of shows there. This is heavy networking. We've got Day Two Cloud up there. We've got the Data Not Show up there. IPv6 Buzz is there, and and more. Just visit that. Go to the subscribe page. Uh, lots of other channels for you to get your nerd on relating to uh, IT and IT engineering architecture. Uh, infrastructure and so on. We got over a thousand episodes of shows that we've recorded over the last 10 years. There's quite a, quite a library now. And if you want to talk to us as at a show level, you can tweet us at packet pushers. You can follow us on LinkedIn, And if you want even more than that, all the free stuff I was just talking about, you can become a premium member. Ignition.packetpushers.net is where you can do that. We're publishing white papers there about cutting-edge topics and fundamentals so you can become uh, more capable in your job day-to-day. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.